Hello and welcome to Pelvic Floor at its Core, the only podcast out there that is brought to you by a women's health technology company, Flight Therapy. I'm your host, Shravya Cavella, Pelvic Health Physical Therapist and Business Development Manager at Flight Therapy. Find us at www.flighttherapy.com for educational articles, videos, and our free Ask a PT program. You can learn more about how flight can improve pelvic floor muscle tone, strength, and stress urinary incontinence when used for five minutes per day for an average of six weeks if dealing with pelvic floor weakness. We have a unique approach at Flight. We believe our product Flight can provide life-changing outcomes, but we also know that no single treatment is right for everyone. We are therefore working hard to increase the collective knowledge out there about the importance of the pelvic floor. Because the more we work together, the more we can work towards increasing access to pelvic health care so all women can truly live their best lives. On this podcast, I bring on pelvic health experts to talk about a variety of topics that any and every woman and clinician can relate to and learn from. It's always informative always interesting, and we always have fun. So let's get into it. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pelvic Floor at its Core. It's been a little bit of a while since our last episode, so I am really thrilled to be back here with all of you to share a fun and informative episode about virtual pelvic floor physical therapy and how it works. Our guest is Gretchen Walsh, Director of Clinical Excellence and Leadership at Agile Virtual Physical Therapy. Agile Virtual PT is the largest telehealth platform in the country, and their team of nationwide clinicians treat all sorts of musculoskeletal conditions, including, and you got it, the pelvic floor. One of the first questions I get about virtual PT all the time is, how the heck does this work? Like, doesn't the pelvic PT part usually involve the pelvic floor? And that's such an excellent question. So we get into all of that. We get into how it works, the data behind, how effective it is, even in comparison to in-person PT, and a case study that we usually do to wrap it all together. Agile Virtual PT is a referral partner of ours at Flight, meaning that for those of you who are calling our free Ask a PT service for guidance, tips, and tricks, you may receive a referral to Virtual Pelvic PT after we speak with you and learn more about your history, your wants, and your needs. So I am really excited to dive into this episode. Let's get right into it. Hello. How are you doing? I am excellent. How are you? Doing great. And I'm really excited to have you on to talk about virtual physical therapy and also specifically pelvic health PT virtually. I mean, I think we can all say virtual existed pre-COVID, not as much in the PT world. And then I was practicing once COVID hit and it was the sudden kind of fluster of Oh my gosh, I have to really learn how to treat my patients through a video camera or through my laptop. But it has really blown up and there have been studies that have come out on, you know, how effective it is. More and more businesses are moving into virtual therapy and here you guys are like with agile virtual therapy and you've just gone gung-ho into it. So 
I am super excited to dive deep into that and want to just get right into it and ask you the first question, which is probably pretty obvious for a lot of people, but physical therapy is physical, right? It's called physical for a reason, or at least that's kind of how a lot of people envision physical therapy. How does virtual physical therapy even work? Yeah, you're right. You know, and to get back to your point earlier, we actually looked at virtual PT in some aspect pre-pandemic. We weren't really sure how it was going to look or how we were actually going to implement it within our company. Thought maybe, oh, maybe this would be nice for free screens for patients, um, just a quick touch point, that type of thing. Obviously, pandemic hit in two days, you know, we had to pivot to uh, telehealth like so many other practices. And so it was that scary. How do we do this? Like, what do we, what do we even do on this video? <laughs> you know, it just feels like very foreign and absolutely you're right. Like we think physical, we think that hands-on component, you take that away and you know, you feel a bit naked, honestly, <laughs> for you know, lack right. of a better term. So it, it really is quite simple though, honestly, now that so many of us have, you know, gotten our reps in and, and done it a lot and patients too. I mean, it's not just obviously PT, they were having to do it with their primary care physicians, some of their specialists. I know oftentimes now it's much preferred over doing an in-person visit. It's kind of funny. My mom, actually, I remember a story that she told me once. I can't remember what specialist it was, but she's 73 and she was honestly appalled because she couldn't do her appointment virtual and she was going to have to drive in and see the specialist. And it was, you know, not for anything. She didn't actually have to have a physical exam of anything. Uh -huh. um, it was, you know, really just discussion um, and things of that nature. And she was just like, come on, you know, I should be able to do this virtual. Like, okay, okay, this is awesome. You know, I feel like that's a turning point, clearly. You know, if your 73-year-old mother is thinking, hey, how come I can't be doing this virtual? So, but yeah, like I said, you know, it's really simple for our, our actual process. You know, a patient, they fill out a form uh, pretty quick and easy online. Our team reaches out to them to schedule their you know, first visit. We try to align them with a PT that's appropriate for them. Obviously, we have to abide by certain state licensing restrictions and things of that nature. We also want to make sure it's someone who has additional training, if it's a specialty area like pelvic health, for example, um, that they can support the patient through that with their additional training. So then once we have a, kind of a good match for the patient uh, with the PT, then a link is, you know, sent for a video call, just like it would be for, you know, Zoom or any of these other platforms. And then from there, it's, you know, that's really when the magic happens. That's, you know, when the PT and the patient, they get to meet. And it's really just like any you know, in clinic setting, it's all about listening to the patient, getting a thorough history about what's going on, you know, why are they seeking PT? What are their goals? Um, what are they trying to achieve? And then the PT will definitely dive into a little bit more specifics on drawing conclusions about what might be happening with the patient and so forth. They, they will potentially ask them to do certain movements, activities, sometimes even some tests that can be done visually over the video. Um, and that really just 
helps them to determine what does this patient's mobility look like? Where's their strength at? You know, what type of balance? You know, what can they do functionally um, so that we get a good baseline? That gives us something we can establish to look ahead as go on with further visits and, and see where they're at, accomplishments they can really make. So that's where it starts. Then we provide them that education piece. Our platform is pretty cool because you can show videos during the session. So we can, you know, pop up something on the different pelvic model and that what the anatomy looks like, some of the different muscle layers and what it even looks like. Hey, they're, you know, leaking in this, but it looks like when, you know, your muscles don't have a certain amount of tone and there's um, some leakage happening. So all of these things just uh, help obviously enhance the experience for the patient. It's so much more helpful from the PT standpoint too, because it's not us like awkwardly over a video trying to get just that right <laughs> angle to like, oh, right. oh, can you see my arm? Can you see my elbow? Just so from there, you know, we're going to make recommendations on, uh, you know, what a patient can do to help, you know, help their symptoms out. And then give them instructions on some exercise and activities that are going to help address those issues. You know, they get this kind of packaged up nice program that then they can access digitally. You know, you can do app, you can do browser. We can also see on our end if they're doing it. So mm -hmm. that's really nice too, because, you know, everybody's got to be held accountable a little bit. We get messages in between visits. So let's say a patient starts an exercise and they're saying, hey, you know, this one's really hurting my knee or I just can't do this one. This one's too hard. We can go in, we can, you know, make a few changes. It is that kind of weird feeling like, hey, how's this all going to work over video? But really, there's so much that can be done without that hands-on component. And honestly, yeah. it's so nice to be able to really capture or see what's happening in someone's could be home, could be in the office, you know. Yeah, could, like in their could, environment. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, practice you lifting your baby. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yep. We can actually show videos and be working with a patient on proper lifting mechanics with their baby, which they are not likely to bring in. Well, some do, but, you know, mm -hmm. not, not as often, you know, right. into an outpatient clinic setting. I love the story about your mom because I just feel like that in itself tells us just how much virtual care can increase access to people who, you know, maybe you're just busy. Or, I mean, even thinking about like the elderly population who maybe need that additional care to come to them or to be able to still continue to have the care that they need or like busy moms and dads who are doing all this stuff and having to watch other kids you know they can bring in one baby but they can't bring in four i want to ask you this in terms of training for pts like is there a specific training for those who are doing virtual therapy we really developed our own homegrown training initially there are some like online continuing education courses and things like that that have been established now the biggest thing that you know we promote certainly is they have to have a general knowledge of the platform and we do try to make sure that all of our clinicians have troubleshooting tips. It's simple things like, right. hey, hey, your audio and video isn't turned on. Or let's say you've done your initial evaluation. You see 
okay, this patient would really benefit from um, a few particular exercises that maybe would include a little ball that will go between their knees for some exercises. Maybe they need a towel for something. You know, that kind of thing um, is just it helps to really prepare the patient and, you know, they know what to expect. Just to, you know, kind of give an example of age ranges, we've seen babies, you know, torticollis where their, you know, kind of neck is tight and things like that. We've done that virtual mm-hmm. all the way up to, I think our highest was a 92 year old. So wow. it's, so it is absolutely, you know, it runs the gamut transportation issues period, I think um, is, is a big thing, whether it's someone who doesn't drive themselves anymore, or really just, you know, the big cities, that's popular too, because transportation is such a bear. So if they don't have to go into a clinic, you know, people aren't going to want to. So it's nice. We got through how physical therapy can work virtually. How does pelvic floor PT work? And is it as effective as coming in person? So those who are listening to this probably are familiar with pelvic floor to some extent if they've had a chance to listen to our other episodes. But something that pelvic PTs will often do if it's indicated is do an internal assessment and an external assessment of the pelvic floor. How is that done virtually or how is that kind of communicated? Like, is anyone taking off their clothes on camera? What's happening? Sure. Um, I am going to say no one's, unless they want to, not in front of me, they're not (laughs) taking their clothes off in front of me. No, Um, no, you know, it is, it is interesting to think about how do you really assess this? So one of the things that I've found most effective is have the patient either in sitting to guide them in, can you feel the inside of your sit bones? You know, this is where your pelvic floor is. Have you ever thought about a Kegel? Do you know what a pelvic floor contraction is? Whatever you think it is, you know, try it for me. And do you feel any tension through there? That's one way to go about it. Another option is to have the patient laying on their side. That's really helpful too, because you can actually see a visible contraction happening. And you can also see, are they substituting? Are they squeezing their buns? Are they, you know, holding their breath? Are they doing some of these other things that would be counterproductive? So while we don't necessarily have our hands-on approach or, you know, that full internal exam, it is something too where for the right patient, you can guide them in using their own finger, let's say, or Maybe they've had uh, a dilator, mm-hmm. vaginal dilators, but you know, some some device sometimes can be used too, where patients can feel that tension that's created with a pelvic floor contraction and give us feedback on that as well. But the bottom line is, is that when we're developing a program, yes, it's nice to know in general, like, hey, the patient feels like they can feel their pelvic floor contracting. That's great but oh you know versus not but really it's it's ultimately are they making progress with what you're giving them and are they reaching their goals right so i can say oh well they started with you know having to go through six pads a day and three weeks later they're doing some of these activities exercises you know maybe they're changing their diet a little bit and so on and now they only are going through two pads a day right well i mean a patient is not going to care, you know, what their strength per se is exactly. They care, you know, that they're not leaking as much or they don't have as much pain or, you know, whatever it may be. So as long as, you know, the PT feels the patient is in the right place, start with knowing where their pelvic floor is (laughs) because 
that's you uh-huh. know half the battle. I feel like if you we give it a few weeks and and see what happens, oftentimes they make great changes. Yeah, and it sounds like you're very resourceful, right? Like using other things around the house to help. I mean, there's just other ways to assess and address. And like you said, like ultimately we're here to improve function and quality of life. So that's what you're doing, and you can yeah. do that virtually. Yep, absolutely. What is the data in terms of like who you guys are seeing? And if you've heard or read any other data on like who is the type of patient that is seeking out virtual care? Yeah, so definitely virtual care in general. Um, so many more females are than males. It's so, so interesting. So for our particular patients, um, it's 83% actually are female in general, um, this is not specific to pelvic floor, but then even to add on to that, the demographic that's the highest um, is 60% of females between the ages of 25 and 45. Wow. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. But if you think about it, I mean, women are 69% more likely to seek out preventative health care. You know, they're often kind of that gatekeeper of the family's health care in general. So the convenience factor, certainly, I mean, based on when mothers are giving birth and, you know, kind of that pre postpartum phase and, you know, and even moving on to premenopausal and early menopausal. I mean, it, it makes sense. It really does. I think women are just, they look for that holistic approach. They're looking for the convenience and that's not just what we've seen in PT. I know there's a teledoc stat, so primary care physicians, the most common age range is 25 to 44 also. Interesting. Um, I was just going to ask you that. They have found for women, those seeking telehealth for more chronic conditions, ages 45 to 64 is the most popular age, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they've got a a little bit more going on, some, um, some other issues as well. Overall, it's certainly... Females, 25 to 45 category and and even going up to 65. But like I said, I mean, we've seen several patients in that older geriatric category as well. So tell me a little bit about some of the case studies that you'll have done looking at the efficacy of virtual PT and how that compares to in-person PT or other interventions. Yes. So we have done a few different ones. One was looking at PT either done all virtual or even as a hybrid model. And when I say hybrid, that means it's a combination of telehealth visits and in-clinic visits, which can be certainly a nice offering or option. We've found that overall, patients are able to get scheduled 60% faster than in clinic alone, which just makes sense. It's more convenient. You don't have to deal with the drive time. If you're a parent, you don't have to deal with, you know, maybe getting that babysitter, um, things like that. The good news too, is that 93% of the patients still were reporting improvement in their pain levels. 98% reported functional improvements overall. And our patient satisfaction scores were the equivalent of what they would be for in-clinic only. So yeah, so we know that it's a valuable service. Typically, you're going to see them for a few less visits overall is what we found. For example, if typical physical therapy care is 
let's say averages 12 visits and maybe it's 12 visits over six or eight weeks. In the virtual setting, it's usually closer to seven or eight visits over maybe four or six weeks. You know, why that is, obviously we don't entirely know. Some of it I think is it's, you know, they don't have that hands-on component. They, you know, are really driving that independence, that function. You know, it's very possible that we're also seeing patients who are appropriate for virtual that are going to be more lower in complexity than Mm -hmm. someone who, you know, really needs to go in clinic too. So it makes sense, but it does equate to a saving certainly on the insurance side or the patient side, if they still have deductibles, co-pays, you know, maybe they're not using insurance, you know, for whatever reason. So certainly a a substantial savings potentially over a whole episode of, of their PT care. So that's a nice option too. That's interesting. How are you, how did you measure like that improvement in pain or improvement of function? Was that using like objective questionnaires that were sent out to those patients? Yes. So the pain levels are based on pain scales. So that kind of mm-hmm. zero is no pain, tons the worst pain ever. And then the functional outcomes, we use different scales or questionnaires for those, you know, looking at before to after and how that looked. One last question on that, because I think this is something that a lot of smaller PT businesses who are incorporating virtual PT care, you know, have this question of how do we maintain retention of these patients? So do you see that as being a problem with some of these virtual patients because they are in the comfort of their home or something else comes up? Do you see like a higher rate of cancellations? And if so, or even if not, like what is it that you can do to kind of reduce that overall rate so that you can really make sure that your patients are getting the benefit that they need and really reaching that independence within those seven to eight visits. So that's interesting point to bring up. We actually see a little bit lower cancellation rate. So mm. between eight, 9% overall, which most outpatient clinics are typically closer to 10, sometimes upwards of 15%. So there's really minimal barriers, right? Like don't really have a great excuse unless your internet's down to not attend an appointment, right? Like, I mean, plenty of people do it in the middle of their workday or at their lunch Mm -hmm. hour, you know, it's, I mean, that convenience factor, you just can't really beat it. So honestly, actually it's better overall from the exercise piece. It's, by having that digital experience and, you know, every, the world is moving towards remote therapeutic monitoring. I know our conversation is not necessarily about that, but, you know, being able to monitor the patient and and how they're doing with their exercises, you know, their pain and difficulty, any issues they're having between appointments. So, I would love it if we could finish up with a short case study. Mm-hmm. And what that would be is just as essentially just kind of running through maybe a patient that you've had, a pelvic health patient, and just how you, things you figured out about your patient, what you did during that treatment, and then how that patient is doing. So the first question I have for you whenever you're ready mm-hmm. is, what are some of like the key things that we should know about this person in your case study that you were working with virtually? 
So I think a great example is someone that I currently still working with, but we're finishing up. She's a 34-year-old who gave birth a year ago. She gave birth vaginally and did have a little bit of tearing, um, but overall recovered well. She's been complaining about stress incontinence, so leakage that's happening with anytime she's coughing, you know, laughing, running, jumping the whole bit. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, really been since she gave birth. She waited a year. Things were kind of crazy in her life. You know, it just wasn't a great time. And then she decided to uh, seek out PT virtually, obviously for the convenience factor as well. And her husband has a job that is, it's not a real set schedule. So, you know, for, and she works from home. So just kind of the, the ability to have to travel to a, a clinic was not appealing to her. Mm-hmm. So that was something that, you know, we started working together. Her biggest issues, like I said, a lot with coughing. She had had a cold um, recently, I know when we started, and that was really wreaking havoc on her quality of life. And she would go through at least two, but if she was having like a lot of coughing episodes, up to even six of the thinner pads a day. And there were times even that, you know, she was wetting her underwear. Sometimes it would even be running down her leg and just kind of that constant underlying fear when she went out to, you know, what's going to happen. And I have always got to be prepared. So in your initial session, or I'll say like initial few sessions, what were the objective things that stood out to you with the kind of movement assessments or other types of assessments that you did? For sure. Her pelvic floor was weaker. She could do quick contractions. And I think that's something that we often see, whether it's virtual or in clinic, uh, woman thinks, oh, I, I kind of know what pelvic floor contractions are. I'm, I, you know, I do these quick contractions and I should be good. But her endurance was quite poor. So I did have her do that technique I was discussing. You know, she laying on her side and feeling. And, you know, we kind of counted and it was about a three count. It's all she could really get to as far as her endurance goes. Mm-hmm. So we really needed to obviously help promote that side of it more. Uh, we know that there's roughly 75% or so of those, you know, muscle fibers within that pelvic floor are going to be those slow twitch receptors. And those ones that, you know, just really respond to more of that slower controlled hold. It's not that maximal contraction. Don't give it all you got necessarily, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's kind of that 50%, um, 30% um, so that it can be held for a little while. And that's really something that we worked on. She also had definitely some weakness or kind of lack of coordination, as, as I like to call it, within her abdominals, especially deep abdominals, and even some of her deep hip muscles. I always like to use the can analogy. And, you know, right. think, think, you know, it's like thinking of the core like can and you got to make sure, you know, your diaphragm and you're breathing properly, the top of your can, you got to make sure your abs are kicking in, you know, the front of your can back muscles, butt muscles, everything's got to support the can, you know, on the backside, or else all the contents of the can are going to drop out right at the bottom. <laughs> so, you know, it's like we yes, you know, pelvic floor is certainly important. But, you know, I really wanted to work with her on addressing, like I said, the abdominal um, strength recruitment, um, same thing with some of her deep hip muscles as well. Perfect. And then how did you use that system that you all have set up with like the home program? Were you able to, was she communicating with you on how certain things were going? Like how did that play into your plan of care? 
Yeah. So one thing I think was interesting about, and this is part of why and we kind of call it that therapeutic alliance with our patients where it's, you know, it's a team approach. It's not, you know, us just giving exercises and telling patients what to do and, you know, off you go. It's, it's, you know, that collaborative effort. And I had initially given her a couple of exercises that were, um, were laying down and, you know, a few sitting. And then eventually, obviously, we got more towards standing and more um, activity overall. But she was doing good as far as adhering to the other exercises that were sitting ones because that was easy. She could do it while she was in her car, you know, driving. She could do it while she was sitting at work, um, some standing ones. And I did recommend that still with the pelvic floor strengthening, especially early on, you want to do them once, you know, at least once a day laying down so that you don't, you're not totally against gravity. It'll mm -hmm. just, you know, help, help with that. Um, body awareness and and help with that strengthening overall. So she was, you know, totally fine with that. And then from there, like I said, we just made those modifications to make it more realistic, you know, more where she needed to be. I did talk with her at, as to what her commitment level was, because that's another thing that I think often as PTs, we can't make assumptions that everyone loves to exercise or everyone's going to have 30 <laughs> minutes every day to do exercises. And so, you know, it's just where meeting her in the middle of where, where she can um, do those exercises and, and when, and it's fine that they don't all have to be at the same time. That's not right. a deal. Like right. don't stress over it. Something's yeah. better than nothing, you know? Absolutely. So you mentioned that you are still working with her, but you're kind of weaning off and almost mm -hmm. done. So how is she doing now? Yeah. So she's, she's doing great. We have had four visits now over a six week time period and she's 50 to 60% better. She's down to one, maybe two um, thin pads a day. She's, it's like, I can, I don't leak at all when I'm sitting now and I cough. When I stand every once in a while, if my bladder's really full and she can run with a little bit of leakage and jumping with a little bit of leakage, but nothing like, I mean, it's, it wasn't like a full, you know, Right, running down her leg, wetting her pants like it was. So she has definitely reported her quality of life, you know, getting better where she just feels like I can actually go out now and I don't feel like I'm super stressed because I'm in a leak all over that's the place. That's huge. So, I mean, that's yeah. so huge. Yeah. Um, so I would anticipate that, you know, one or two more visits just to really hone in on kind of more advanced activities, making sure again, like that she can have that quick response with the pelvic floor and the rest of her core with jumping, running, you know, those more dynamic activities will be really important because she's not ready for that. You know, it's hard when I know sometimes there's sort of these women empowerment videos out there that it's like, oh, just jump all you want, do whatever. And who cares if you pee all over? But I'm, I'm more of the mindset of like, okay, let's take you know, three or four weeks and really work on some of the basics that are then the parts and pieces that are then going to get you to the, you know, bigger accomplishments, like being able to, you know, jump run without any leakage. And I think that's much more successful than yeah, the, absolutely. The, def the defeating, I don't know, factors of some of the other stuff that can go on, but Awesome. Well, Gretchen, thank you so much for your time and your insight into all of this. I mean, 
virtual care is not going away. So I think this is just so promising to hear the data and how you go about things. So thank you so much for taking that time today. Oh, yes, absolutely. Happy to do it. Awesome. Flight by Pelvidol is approved for pelvic floor strengthening and SUI only. All information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace medical advice. Always seek out a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have about a medical condition. And if you have a question about flight and its indications for use, please see our website at flighttherapy.com. And that's it. See you next time on the next episode of Pelvic Floor at its Core.